The scripture reading today is from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. Hear the word of the Lord. Remember that at one time you Gentiles by birth called the uncircumcision by those who were called the circumcision, a physical circumcision made in the flesh by human hands, Remember that you were, at that time, without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace, in his flesh, he has made both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall, that is, the hostility between us. He has abolished the law with its commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new humanity in place of the two, thus making peace and might reconcile both groups to God in one body through the cross, thus putting to death that hostility through it. So he came and proclaimed peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, both of us have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are citizens with the saints and also members of the household of God, built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole structure is joined together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are built together spiritually into a dwelling place for God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for yourself, Lord Jesus. Amen. Last Sunday was a glorious day if you were able to be with us. It was so exciting to meet Dr. Hilton and his family, to hear him preach, and then to call him as our senior pastor. But today we're returning to the study of the book of Ephesians. And if you were with us two weeks ago, you heard Donna preach a masterful sermon on the first part of chapter two. Can you remember what those three markers were? that she highlighted for us? Let's see if you can do it with me. You were, but God, we are. You were describes who we were, were before our transformation story. We were sinners facing down death and headed towards a life weighed down by our cravings and our disobedience. We were not reconciled to God and because of that, we were headed towards a life of wrath. But God is the new transformation, and the good news of that, because it was the hinge that 
changes us because of God's rich love towards us, God's grace and mercy through Christ Jesus changes us. We're made into new creations, called into relationship with God through the power of Jesus' obedience to death on a cross and the resurrection from the grave. We are. But through Christ Jesus, we have a new life. We're changed and transformed. We are with Christ, and we share in Christ's glory now and in the age to come. We're called to do good works with our life in Christ, and that gives us life with a future and a purpose. You were, but God, we are. Today we're going to look at the rest of chapter 2 and see what that transformed life means as we live our lives in community with fellow believers. The passage that Carolyn read for us opens up a reminder for us about the divisions between Jews and Gentiles. In that world and at that time, there was a lot of enmity and animosity between these two groups. Partly because the Jewish nation and culture was distinct from the rest of the Roman Empire. The Jewish people believed in one God, and that God had set them apart and called them as God's own special people. The Jews believed that God would use that unique relationship between God and the people of Israel to show the rest of the world who God is and how God keeps God's promises God would bless the descendants of Abraham, which in turn would bless the rest of the world. Because of this calling, Jews felt a great deal of pride, and they did think they were better than the Gentiles because they had access to the one true God, and Gentiles were excluded. Now, Gentiles were polytheistic. They believed and worshipped in many gods, and they lived dissolute lives. Their lives of abandon looked quite different from the principled, law-abiding way a Jewish person would live. And also, we need to remember that Roman rulers and leaders were Gentiles who imposed harsh taxes and used brutal means to rule over the Jews. I don't think that engendered good feelings between the two groups either. So from a Jewish perspective in the text, we see that Gentiles were excluded from citizenship in Israel, they were foreigners to the covenants of God's promises, and they were without hope and without God in the world. They were. But Christ, now in Christ Jesus, as we see in verse 13, you were once far away and have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Just like the opening verses of chapter 2, we see a similar construction. Instead of you were, it's they were. Instead of but God, it is but Christ. This section is own in a community of believers. Because of Christ, the dividing wall between Jews and Gentiles has come down. Because of Christ, there is no more hostility between these two groups. 
Because of Christ, one new humanity has been made out of the two. Instead of Jews and Gentiles, in Christ, people are now known as Christians. Christ has overcome Gentiles' estrangement from God and has woven their story into the story of God's people. Christ has drawn, drawn two disparate people together and called them his own. In Christ, anyone has access to God and is set apart and ca called as God's own. Anyone in Christ is called to show the rest of the world who God is and how God keeps God's promises and then to go out and bless the world. In Christ, we are his. Our identity is now in Christ. As Paul writes in the Galatians, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. We are his. We are all have been reconciled to God through Christ. That means we are all now reconciled to one another. All of us are his because we belong to Jesus. And we see that with the playing out of joining the Jews and the Gentiles to become Christians. But our world doesn't really feel like that, does it? There seems to be a lot of barriers now that divide us. There is great hostility and animosity and suspicion even between people nowadays, even those who call themselves Christians. So what are we to make of this? In the summer of 2020, it felt like our world exploded. Racial divisions were made fresh in ways we hadn't anticipated. Sides were quickly taken and opposing viewpoints were disparaged heatedly. There was a reckoning that we continue to grapple with today. The 2020 election also set off more conflict and disunity. It became very easy to vilify the opposing political party and very difficult to understand why the other side would believe what they did. Arguments, hostility, and antagonism are still commonplace in our conversations with one another. And I know that some of you continue to have a difficult time engaging with family and friends who hold a different political viewpoint than you do. It's just too hard to connect because of the way that the lines have been drawn. Our world isn't so different from the ancient one, is it? It's us versus them. It's I'm right and you're wrong. It's this position is the best and that one's the worst. God is pleased with this and God detests that. 
It seems that we've gathered ourselves into groupings that reinforce our beliefs. We form associations with those who agree with our stance, and we cut ourselves off from those with different views. Some of us won't even try to understand the different perspective because we think it's so flawed. But it's really easy to see the speck in someone else's eye and ignore the log in our own. We can be guilty of pride that blinds us to our faults and magnifies the faults of others. And the result of that is conflict and strife and discord. We've broken into so many factions, unity seems impossible. We can see that in social media, I think. The algorithms, you know the algorithms, they see what you like and they give you more of that. So sometimes so much so that we don't see news or stories from those who hold another perspective or a different view than our own. It's that example of confirmation bias in action where we tend to look for information and process it in ways that's consistent with our own beliefs. We want confirmation that our thoughts or our conclusions are right, so we seek out others who are like-minded to make, our, make us feel more confident in our own choices. Another dimension of this is that we want to prove that our side is right. Russell Moore is the editor-in-chief of Christianity Today, and he recently addressed this issue in his article, The Evangelical Temptation to Prove Ourselves. Moore writes, we want to be vindicated in public. We don't just want to win. We want to own whoever has mistreated or made fun of us. We want to be respected, to be affirmed, if for nothing else than to boost our numbers and our political power. Most of the rest of the world can see this for what it is, a lack of confidence. We want to be proven right because we don't remember who we are or why we're here. We've all heard of the proverbial rock star who snaps at a restaurant server or a club bouncer and saying angrily, don't you know who I am? The rage behind that question often stems from the rock star's fear that the answer is no. Who are you? Moore writes that our insecurity drives much of the division we see. And I think it's also difficult to see that there are divisions in the body of Christ. We who are supposed to be united have separated ourselves into groupings based on the way we interpret scripture. Some of us align ourselves with those who have a political leaning that's the same or a social understanding that's the same. And some of us think that it's best to unite around those of us who have an opportunity to maybe hold some power or sway, some influence, uh, sway more influence. So we align ourselves with those groupings. We've allowed ourselves to form tribes within the body of Christ. We are not one in Christ, and that is wrong. That is sin at work. We have forgotten who we are. 
But what if we had another way of looking at this? How would our world be different if we sought to be more like Christ? Returning to that Russell Moore article, he writes, Jesus believed that he was exactly who his father said he was, the beloved Son of God. So he did not need to clamor for immediate satisfaction of his appetites. He did not need to grasp for immediate power over the nations. Jesus did not need to prove himself. We need to remember who we are. We are his. Our identity comes from Christ. We don't need the affirmation of strangers to prove who we are. We don't need more likes on social media to prove that our ideas are right. We don't need to separate ourselves from those whose opinions differ from ours. We are called to be light and salt to the world. We are called to shine God's love and grace and mercy to the world. Ourselves. We need to slow down and refocus on what really matters. We are God's children, called into relationship with him through the love of Christ and empowered to do God's work in the world. As Russell Moore writes, what if we were a church so confident in our identity in Christ that at long last we had nothing to prove but something to give, life and rest, joy and peace? I think that's it exactly. What if we acted out of our security in who we are? What if we dropped our guard and engaged with those no matter which way they view things, especially if they are fellow Christians? Cornerstone. Jesus is our cornerstone. He is our foundation and our strength. We build our lives and our church on him. And verses 19 and 20 in our passage affirm that we are fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. Under Jesus, that sure and steady foundation, the structure, the body of Christ, the church, is united and strong. Under Jesus, we walk with others and together do the work that God has called us to do. But only when we ground ourselves in Christ. So how do we make sure that we are doing that? Don't allow your doubts or your insecurities to drive you to seek out worldly voices and influences to make you feel better. Keep your eye on God's word. Stay close to God in prayer. Keep your eyes on Christ. The enemy wants to confuse us and keep us from connecting with God. And the enemy does that by bringing up our insecurities, by giving us temptations and frustrations and trials, and even the smallest thing like busy schedules. 
The enemy uses anything and everything to distract us from focusing on God's word and spending time in God's presence. When our heads and our hearts are turned away from God, the enemy delights and chaos and discord, conflict and strife flourish because we have forgotten who we are. I called my mom yesterday to tell her about the wedding that I was able to officiate. It was beautiful, by the way. My mom asked me how my sermon was coming along, and I told her a bit about what I was going to do with the text, and then she said, well, tell me about your illustrations. What sort of stories are you going to use? And I went, Mom, I don't have any stories. There was a bit of a pause, and we moved along and went to another part of the conversation, but in that moment, a seed of doubt was planted in my head and my heart, and my insecurities got a hold of me. Should I include a story? What should I say? Where should I put it? What should I illustrate? Lord, what do I do? That innocent comment from my mom set off my insecurity and started to drive my behavior. It happened so fast. I had to stop and ask God, what was it that God wanted me to say? What things did God want me to focus on? I had to remind myself that I'm not preaching to please you, the congregation. I am preaching to please the Lord. I'm including this sermon illustration, yes, there we go, there it is, <laughs> to let you know that I know how easy it is to allow our securities to get in, insecurities to get in our way and to get us off track and start us on the path of trying to please other people. I completely get how easy that is. It is not easy to stop that impulse to try to please others. But it is possible to bring it under control and to start paying attention to who we are as God's beloved children. We are his. Your very identity comes from Christ. Not ideas, not other people, not things. Our identity comes from Jesus Christ. And Christ has gathered fellow believers to walk with us as we walk with Christ. And this is the church, to love and support and encourage one another when we need it. And we're there to help walk alongside and pick up someone else who is suffering or who is struggling. That is the church. And together as the church, as the body of Christ, we do the work that God has called us to to go out into the world, to make disciples of all nations, to baptize people in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and to teach what Jesus has commanded. We are called to be light and salt to the world. And to do this life with one another, we need to listen more. We need to put away our pride, give up the need to be right, we need to deal with our insecurities, forgive others, and ask forgiveness. We need our Savior, Jesus Christ, 
and to remember that our identity, our strength, comes from him. Christ is building us up and growing us together to be a holy temple for the Lord, to be the church in the world, to reflect God's love and God's light, God's grace and mercy to those who so desperately need it. But that can only happen when we keep our eyes on who unites us, Jesus. Jesus is our center and our being. Jesus is our Savior, and we are his. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you that you have called each one of us into your family. We thank you for your son, Jesus, who is our rock and our redeemer. Lord, help us to keep our eyes focused on you and to remember that we belong to you. We ask this through Jesus, his holy name. Amen.